Welcome everybody to another great episode of yet another podcast. The Yap Boys are back at it again, and this time we have a special guest with us. Sumit, I don't know if you can, but please enter a clapping track here. Please welcome to the podcast our friend Jazz, aka Jazz Feezy. Give it up, everybody. Here we go. All right. Welcome, Jazz. Welcome. Welcome, Jazz. Going on, guys. Uh, long time no talk. Long ass time. I actually have not talked to you in a really long time, which is strange because I feel like we were talking on the regular last year. Uh, and now you're better friends with Summit, who's my friend, who knows you through me. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I just, you know what? I changed lines. If this is Game of Thrones, I just joined a different house. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's cool. It's, it's, as long as it's one of my friends, that's all right. Yeah, I was gonna say, Jazz and I talk all the time. Damn, <laughs> feel... BFFs. Well, this is real. This podcast is really an intervention to let you know, like, you know, <laughs> I'm about to be the new host. I'm sorry, but uh, go ahead. <laughs> oh shit, that's actually hilarious. To make you feel better, we do talk about you all the time whenever we do talk. A hundred percent. Yes. yes. <laughs> like, uh, you know, how do you say his name again? <laughs> <laughs> He's not wrong. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, that may or may not be a real conversation that we wow. had. Wow! <laughs> wow! Wow! Sorry, right. for a while he was calling me this the wrong name too. So it's it's, oh, it's all good. All right. <laughs> it was it was it was Sumi, like my cousin. It's yeah. it's not even remotely even spelled the same. Yikes! Sorry, Jess. <laughs> Jess, you know why it's not your fault? Because let's learn a little bit about yourself for our for our listeners that are tuning in, who don't know who Jazz is. Jazz, where were you born? What is your real name? What do you do? Just give us a quick, uh, as we used to do back in the days of what was that chat? Um, Used to ask for the ASL, <laughs> age, sex, and location. Please. ICQ, MSN, AOL. Yes, ICQ. Yeah, yeah, all of those. So please give us your ASL. Uh, okay. Originally born in India. Uh, my parents got their immigration or their visa back in the day, I guess, depending on what you call it now today. They got it back when I was six months. So I've literally been in Canada since I was about six and a half yeah. months. And so we lived in Toronto or, uh, yeah, Toronto north york about four years as yeah. soon as my dad's job moved to barry i've been in barry which is when we moved it's there it was like my north, uncle's family right? yeah so it's about an hour and 15 minutes north of uh if you say cn tower downtown okay, gotcha. okay 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 and in that city it was literally my family and my uncle surrenders family as the only brown family so it was like population of fifty-six thousand <laughs> white people and six brown people wow that's so. crazy. And that's like you, you, when you went to high school, it was like that. When you went to college, it was like that too. One year of college in Georgian, I stopped because I was too good. And my dad said, yeah. go follow your passion in music. Cause I literally did one year because he said, okay, smart ass, you're going to do this school. Show me you can get nineties. I came back with a 95 and he said, well, I expected you to fail. So I guess we'll do it your way. <laughs> so he literally you to fail and said, and you, he was like, he still wanted a 90. Wow. Yeah, yeah, he got his 90, but he was like, he's like, look, academically, in the history of my uh, academia or whatever you want to call it, I was <laughs> pulling 60s. I didn't care. Like, wow. come on, I'm going to call her a, a map and geography, and this is this is schooling. I was just not motivated. <laughs> is this what, what am I doing? Education is like. <laughs> right? It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what's the capital of, uh, uh, what's the capital of Ontario? Oh, uh, Toronto? Uh, okay, yeah, you passed. There you go, 90. <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm like, what am I even doing in this? Like, what? what is, why is this even necessary? Wow. Bro, they were Jeez. prepping you for your citizenship exam. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I think so. I think they're like, I don't know if this guy's really legal, but... Uh... Yeah. Now, Wait, before so, we, so, well, before we dive too far into jazz and his history, um, let's give a, you know the listeners a proper introduction to who Jazz, Jazz Feezy is. Yeah. Um, he is a, an established much credited record producer um you know he's just big done time. amazing work yeah big time like big time you're you're our biggest guest that we've ever had right yes <laughs> and for Probably. the record i'm six foot but uh sure wasn't yeah. a size comment but okay just, just weird, let everyone know weird flex but okay yeah you know what's uh, not a weird flex is that jazz has produced for drake jazz has produced for uh, Ti for have you produced for Cardi B? 
no currently working on our album but nothing official yeah we were working on the last album as well but we can get into that into the management portion yeah. <laughs> right i mean he's he's really, um he's done well, work for artists like ace hood ti uh young thug bankroll mafia um you know the the list the goes on and on and on. Honestly, if I had it in front of me, I would probably read it the whole yeah. read the whole thing out to you. But that might be the whole podcast by itself. So anyway, um, yeah. you know, many credits, many placements, very successful, and uh, pretty well known um, record producer in the music industry. So yeah, you know, when you work with artists at, the, at of that caliber and that level, you know, clearly you're doing very well for yourself. So. Uh, shout out to you for you know being able to establish yourself and and having all those accolades under your belt, but also thank yeah. you for joining us on this episode today. Yeah, hey, you know what I want to do is me and Summit actually did this on the last episode. We went back and we talked about like our first introduction to hip hop, and since you produce a lot of hip hop, I wanted to hear your story in terms of like if you remember specifically the moment or the day or the general time frame when you were introduced to hip hop and how you got involved with hip hop and stuff like that. So if you have that, that'd be great. We'd love to hear yeah, that. I don't think like, I've ever asked you that even on a personal level. Yeah. Give us the jazz feasy origin story. Origin story. I'm about to make myself the biggest heel in the history of all music <laughs> right now. Let's <laughs> I remember, remember completely white area. I grew yeah. up on rock, unfortunately. We're talking like Deftones. We're talking like Limp Biscuit. This oh, is how bad my life was, bro. During Limp Biscuit, there was a song called Get Rolling or Rolling Remix with Method Man and Red Man. And I yeah. go, yo, what is this? <laughs> wow. Never knew hip hop a day in my life prior. All my friends, unfortunately, that's the music they listen to. I think Damn. even on the big shiny tunes, I think. No, it was all Our Lady Peace. No, it was all rock. It was all rock music again. So wow. until the grade eight dance, so that would have been what? 12, 13-year-old Jazz Feezy. I hear this bass line, and I hear, you can do it, put your back into it by Ice Cube. <laughs> that was my first record wow. ever. Grade eight dance in October, uh, age 12 or 13. Yo, that's crazy. My first introduction to hip-hop was also eighth grade. That's crazy. Oh, like, so I'm not that bizarre. Okay, I, I thought still, I was completely left field. No, 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 no. I grew up on like Backstreet Boys, yes. Shaggy, yes. Um, you know, whatever was popular, whatever was pop music, Michael Jackson, like obviously, and like a lot of Bollywood music because that's what my parents were listening to. Also more um, of that, yes. Yeah, and some Punjabi music here and there, which my parents were also listening to. Like Rail Gaddi and fucking like Badi Basi, like, you know, shit that you would hear at parties and that's it. And then, boom, out of nowhere, hip hop was in my life at, in grade eight and it was crazy. So that's, that's pretty interesting that it's the same timeline around, around 13 years old. Yeah, but I mean, at least you were in New York or were, were you, where were you then? I was in Kuwait uh, when I first oh. got, yeah, yeah, in the Middle East imagine that so uh okay. and then 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 uh, right after i was here in uh, in the maryland area in the dc area so gotcha but yeah that's crazy how'd you get into producing so ever since i again going to back into it uh we started getting into the internet started coming around or well i'm making it sound like it wasn't around but <laughs> we're talking like icq when the first iterations of msn hotmail was was forming Yep, 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 yep. So going into grade 9 and 10, all my buddies had that. So then, obviously, you got the Kazaa, the Napster, the LimeWire, uh, SoulSeek for the other piraters. Uh, and so as I started to understand more and more, it gave me the opportunity to type in Ice Cube, and all the NWA stuff came up. Um, yeah. The Friday movies, all those soundtracks came up. So the more I started to get the internet, it, it, uh, it more started letting me more or less really dig in and dive into other forms so now that i know method man yeah. hey what else do they got oh the rock wilder oh cool what else they got so it actually gave me the opportunity to research and learn more where before you'd have to obviously if we're going back to grade eight you have to buy the physicals otherwise you wouldn't be able to hear it you can share it yeah that's crazy so that's more or less yeah that's more or less uh from that standpoint from kazaa i found fl Kazaa. loops <laughs> yeah, because uh, it's it's the scuff version of Napster. I'm not gonna lie. Before yeah, uh, and Bear Share, do you remember Bear? Oh Share? my Bear Share was my <laughs> other one. Yeah, Those but uh, 
that whole thing was just to tell you that. So fi- by finding all the Method Mans and everyone else, I wanted to learn how to make music. So I literally typed yeah. in, hey, how to make music, FL Studios, volume one or two was out. Okay, cool. Kazaa, let me download it. <laughs> I started playing around with it. And ever since grade nine or 10, yeah. I just kind of just tinkered with it. And eventually I just, I stopped doing homework and I started paying attention more to that. And my dad's just like, can you imagine if you applied the same level of stupidity but to your actual schoolwork where you could be and i'm like don't worry dad this is all gonna work and i reminded him that conversation yesterday for father's day and he said look look he's like i've been wrong a lot of times but that's not your job to point it out but but happy father's day and i'm like all right cool i better just shut up now before before it gets goes the other way i'm I'm doing too much (laughs) that's insane dude and so when you first started producing it was all fruity loops are you still using fruity loops or you you've moved on to something else well i've always stayed uh true so yeah fl studios 20 i'm actually Shout out to them. I'm actually endorsed by them. It kind of came full circle. Um, Make sure you guys buy it. We we don't pirate. Uh, In fact, that Kazaa story was actually the origins of this other guy that was DJ Jazz Feezy, the real Jazz Feezy. He actually produces legally, just just so it's out there. FL Studios listening to our podcast going, what the hell? We endorse this guy? Been illegally (laughs) downloading our shit for years. I think I don't think anybody owned FL Studios that I knew of in our age group when we were growing up. Everybody had some illegal version of it. And Including. it was eight ninety nine, eight hundred and ninety nine dollars for a sixteen or seventeen year old to produce. Yeah. Come on. Matter, matter yeah. of fact, I think Summit gave me that fake illegal version. So thanks, Summit, for that. Yeah, the cracked version. Yep, the cracked version. Damn, that's crazy, man. But yeah, I, I still do use FL, and I always use this other uh, company. It was called uh, Son- what is it? Sonic Soundford Acid, and then they just became the Sonic Suite. Uh, so I'm on Sonic 12, and it allows you to chop up the samples, um, really mess with the audio before. Uh, let's say you wanted like a region clip, so if you wanted like a brr, 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 cool, it yeah. cuts it up perfectly, cleans it up, and now you can use it for sample purposes. Oh right, man, right, Soundforge right. is an OG application, man. Yeah, <laughs> I remember yeah. having to use that back in the day. Yeah, yeah I was uh, I was using Acid to record my vocals. I remember that much, and I did not know how to mix, but I would just record raw vocals and then send them over to you know anybody that I knew that would be able to mix down tracks and then do it that way. But that was fun times, man. That was that was a good era. <laughs> But at least you guys know. I told so many yeah. people about this SoundForge, and they're just looking at me like, "What's that?" I'm like, "Okay, yeah. well, another program I use was like Adobe Edition or Cool Edit Pro." Of course, yeah. people know that. No one knows the SoundForge thing. They're thinking I'm making yeah. it up. And I'm like, "All right, guys, whatever." <laughs> Damn. Um, so tell us about what what your career is like now. Like, what is your what do you, what do, you do on the daily? What what is some of the stuff you're working on now? What is we fast forwarded? I guess you're uh what like 15 years and so now you're this established producer who produces for big shots and you're independent or are you signed to a label so uh, as far as my publishing in terms of collecting royalties which we'll get into more in the management side i'm officially still with bmg um they've been nothing but good to me in the last two years now that's just we'll talk about this but again when i signed with them in 2015 All I had was the TI Rick Ross record and two other TI cuts. When you come in there with not enough uh, leverage, you're going to get the shittier deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry, wait. Can we swear here? Otherwise, I apologize. Oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah. for sure. (laughs) Just making sure I'm like, wait a minute. Is this family friendly? Like, I don't want like auntie over here saying, okay. What what person (laughs) have you brought onto your show? And who's his mom so we can talk to him? No cursing allowed. This isn't that fucking type of podcast, okay? Okay, (laughs) I love when Jazz turns into Jaswinder and uh, starts speaking a little bit of Punjabi. It's awesome. Oh, well, we can get into that also later on, why it's broken. But anyways, yes. Um, (laughs) What was the question? (laughs) Because we start getting into swearing. Yikes. Oh, we're going to get into so many different things. Um, What we like doing on the podcast is like, we got to know you, which is cool, but we really like just having, you know, a normal conversation, a normal you know? conversation with our guests, uh, because that's what me and him do all the time on our podcast. And when we have a guest, we try to do the same. It's just like a, having a third opinion now. So which is cool. 
Oh, you were asking the day to day. That's it. I totally oh. forgot. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to think about it. listen to what you just said. Yeah. No, I totally <laughs> go with you. But I'm just like, wait, wait a minute. What was the question he had? Okay. So 15 years later, my day to day would be this. I can literally wake up. Doesn't matter what day of the week. Well, obviously, no one sleeps for three days in a row. But uh, any day I want to wake up, I can work on a variety of things. Like if I wanted to work on something for TV and film, and that's yeah. called Sync, yeah. got the opportunity to do that. If I want to go to the artist side, say I wanted to work with Jeezy, Post Malone, Drake, whomever, yeah. uh, as long as I have the exact contact with the artist or someone that's a manager or like someone that's actually going to play them the beats, I yeah. can do that. Shit, if I wanted to cool. make kits for Splice or make my own drum sounds and sell them on Splice, I could do that. The thing is, where I'm at with my career versus like me 10 years ago, just trying to find out, yeah. there's a lot more venues to make money and a lot more opportunity to have the day-to-day side hustle of still doing music and still focusing on my craft but chasing the bigger cuts the bigger placements and still working on the branding of who right. jazz feasy the producer is so right 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 was short there... answer long long story short i kind of do a little bit of everything just depending on what time of year it is and what movies and stuff are coming out versus what albums are coming out and kind of mixing a mixture of both mixture of both right in your career was there like a was there like a defining moment or like a breaking point where it was like, where it felt like, all right, shit, now this shit is real, real. Like it's for real, for real now. Like, or like from the, or the flip side of that, like, did you ever get to a point where you felt like, I don't know if this is working. I don't know if this is the, the right path for me. Like, did you have ever have that kind of experience? I think the, is this ever gonna, is this working or whatever? I, unfortunately that doubt never goes away, but here's the thing in producing, you might have one or two months where decent amount of money is coming in or decent amount of credits are coming in so you can leverage more credits. It's all about the timing of the year. And so the first answer, you always are going to have the doubt. There's not one particular time where I wanted to quit. To me, I, it's like this. Uh, I wake up in the morning. If I don't do anything to music by the time I go to sleep, in my mind, I failed and I wasted that day. And I feel like by not doing music, I start going into this weird depression mm. of like, yo, I lost the day. What are you doing? Yeah, I feel that. I feel that 100%. I feel that way too. Like if I go through an entire day and I have not done something in the creative field, yeah, whether it's Roots Gear related or not, uh, you know, because I have a bunch of shit that I do on the side for fun too. So if I have not done something creatively, I'll, I'll start doubting myself when I get to bed. I'll be like, shit, like what the fuck did I even do today? I didn't do shit today. Like I wasted my day. So that's crazy. Um, that's pretty awesome that you think similarly. It's good to know uh, that other creative people think in a similar way. And then the other answer, uh, the time that I think was definitive of when, um, I guess you could say as a breakthrough, I could really think I could do this. It was kind of like a span of like, a part of a year so in 2016 moving into 2017 there was like this crazy barrage let's say from october till march where it was just like an all-time high so i got accepted to splice i got my label on there i was able yeah. to create my own sounds and when the label came out and even till now it's still top 100 labels to the day so i got to do my dream of professionally selling drums but in a company or on a level that a lot of people still will hit me, not even knowing I have any credits saying, yo, bro, like I love your spice kids. When are we going to get another one? So I've kind yeah. of established myself in that market at the same time, this one record called rebels by Ahana bam, it was getting synced like crazy. Like, I think, I don't know money wise, but like I got synced in like seven different, two different trailers and seven different shows and two different movies for oh, soundtracking. Shit. Damn. That's crazy. And, and you produce that record. And I produced that with Chris Meeson, uh, Cena at the time, yes. But that wow. got me into the foot of the the sync world, which I didn't even know it was a thing. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, yeah, you get a one cut in a movie, that's fine. But I didn't know resyncability. One record can get synced like a thousand times or until they don't want to use it anymore. That opened yeah. my eyes to that. And then the cherry on top, go to March 17th, 2017. March 18th, sorry. And the Drake album drops, you get Can't Have Everything. Ooh. So that whole six months wow. was very pivotal to where I am today in 2019. Yeah, Yo, you know what's crazy? Like we met just shortly before that. I think we connected on Instagram in like I want to say like late 2016, early 2017. Mm -hmm. Um it was right after More Life came out. Yeah. No. Uh before. 
it was before the Drake album came out. And we were just we were just like we were like, yo, let's get on the phone real quick. You know, you're a brown creative person, you do music, I'm a brown creative person, I do clothing, whatever we got on the phone and it was just a conversation like this, you know, tell me a little bit about what you do, what your background is, things like that. And we kind of just exchanged all this stuff and the vibe was there. And like, you know, I think there was just a lot of mutual respect there. And um, right off the bat, I was like, yo, let me send you like a carrot package. You know what I mean? Like you seem like a cool guy and I want you to rock some roots gear. So I sent him some stuff and literally like, I think two, three months later he hits me up and he's like, yo, uh, I think tomorrow the Drake album's dropping and my record's going to be on it, right? Is that what you said to me? I forget what the exact conversation Either it dropped and you were like, yo, uh, go buy the Drake album, my record's on it. Or it was like, hey, I think it's dropping tomorrow. Make sure you cop it. Something like that. And I was like, what? Yeah, it was um, literally that because I was still unsure up until three days prior if it was officially on or not. Partially, one, the contract never came through, but then eventually it did. And two... Yeah it's it was done so late minute so if the album's coming out let's say the 18th we literally found out like on this night of the 16th shit and, okay go through that experience real quick because i i think that's something that you know our listeners will appreciate because when do you get to hear about one of us working with drake's camp and getting your record on his album what, what's that like in terms of the process from like are you in the studio with drake when he's recording or are you just sending beats like wh what is it like and then what is it was the process like when it's finalized and you're about to be on the album uh okay so for that album he was on mostly i believe his uh european tour okay so, so that's why a lot of that album is heavily uk based because i think he's out in europe uh, was it summer? I think it was the summer 16 tour. I'm going to say, yeah, it was the second half of the summer 16 tour. He did with future. Right. So then, so he was out there. So I just, again, just from years back and the relationship I have with uh boy wonder and uh boy wonder T minus and knowing Oliver, like pre little Wayne best I ever had that whole signing. I've yeah. known him from way, way back in the day, even his old email, like way, way back. So wow. just, just even knowing his manager, uh, Oliver, I just, literally just hit him up and said hey man i know the uh the new album's starting and i know you guys are over in uk um is it right if i send you a pack of beats he yeah. said dude you're literally the first person to ask versus just unsolicitedly just yo send, let drake hear these let the like like all this kind of nonsense so he's like yeah, yeah please send them through i sent a yeah. couple and he's just like bro keep sending them he's like as long as he's on tour be reasonable send me your best stuff but just keep sending them and oh, shit. once that happened like i have to go back to the email but i'm pretty sure it was like uh september of 2016 i just never looked back i just went into work mode and said okay i gotta show this guy i can do this yeah and so then you just kept sending beats and then when do you hear back so i hear uh so we started sending say august september by october a month after or a month in and it would have been like i couldn't tell you if it was beat like 101 or whatever it's probably yeah. around 100 um he just goes yeah send the stems for uh 2016 I forget the name of the beat, unfortunately, but 2016, whatever, whatever. And he's like, and don't send it to anyone else because he's cut a record to it. Oh, go, okay, fuck. cool. But he also did tell me, hey, just because we're cutting records, you know, he might cut 40 to a to an album, best yeah. 18 make it or best whatever make it. So I go, yeah. cool, put that record aside. That's fine. Keep working, working, working. December, they hit me up again. Hey, send uh, send the files for this other beat. And yeah. I go, cool. So I have two that's recorded, whatever. But yeah. then dead silence radio dead silence no more beats Shit. were being taken i'm still submitting i start getting worried and then magically on the 15th or 16th like that ridiculous uh will smith <laughs> uh aladdin or genie looking thing comes out of nowhere yo 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 you uh got the record i'm like oh my god <laughs> wow and so wait what okay <laughs> it's is it a text is it an email what's he so it, it was an email so it was an email it was an email to my lawyer saying hey uh, oh. We're sending you the contract for such and such record for such and such beat. Uh, um, and please, you, you know, fill accordingly, this... like publishing info, etc., all that stuff. And you literally get this like what a couple days before the album drops. The album drops, so the mix and master version's already done. They already know they're using it, wow. and uh, he's already and recorded yeah. it. He's already mixed it. It's already mastered. Like you know, like it's been named and everything. All that has been done, and you are unaware. 
I know where, but the thing was, see, here's the thing. That's my first time working with them. I wasn't as yeah. familiar. They yeah. weren't familiar with me, so they didn't know, like, usually yeah. Noel, the engineer will send you, like, a reference in case you want to fix anything of the beat or right. anything of this nature. But it was their first time, so they're taking a gamble, like, okay, how's this right, kid going right, to right. act? If we yeah. give him the record and he leaks it or whatever, right, you know, right, if they're right. actually going to use it for the album, it's their ass. It's not really going to hurt me, but right. it would hurt my relationship. So they're just kind of looking out for both parties saying, hey, gotcha. the album's out. Everyone gets the record accordingly. Obviously, they got it before us, but hey, yeah. I'm, it's my first time. I got to play uh, play the position. Gotcha, gotcha. That's crazy. And then have you had a chance to work with him uh, since then? So we were submitting to Scorpion. Uh, we had a few, same thing. But this time, unfortunately, we didn't make it. Yeah. Uh, they made the cuts, and that's fine. Um, yeah. And now the new album, I've just been submitting. Just submitting, submitting, submitting. And nice. obviously, the first two records came out. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit on stream that every album you'll have a fake love and then you'll have a diplomatic immunity one will make it <laughs> not. yeah 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 That's these two records came out it's it's too early to say it's but i don't i don't uh no disrespect to either of them but i don't know if either are going to be like ones that carry over to the album oh wow yeah That's i didn't really i didn't really hear like a god's plan equivalent on, on, like with these two releases i didn't i i enjoyed the the money in the grave uh yeah was it money in the grave with rick ross the one with that uh, Little CC, who's who produced that? Right. I think that one was more of a standout. But the thing is, I did like Omerta too because I feel like that's the kind of Drizzy that I like to listen to, where he's a little bit more lyrical, he's a little bit more poetic, and he, you know, he's telling a more of a story. I, I mean, yeah. I, I enjoy that kind of Drake, right? Um, but I, yeah, I agree. Like, I don't, I didn't really hear like a God's Plan equivalent with these two releases. Now, like yeah. you said, whether these are going to be on the album or not, who knows, right? But this is kind of like the Drake formula. Right. Yeah. So. He's kind of re he like releases the two and then releases the album. So that's right. kind of crazy. Damn. And yeah, so, tell me a little bit more about your relationship with T minus. Cause he just hit like what quadruple platinum or something with the middle child with J Cole. Yeah. So, uh, this goes your back to battle of the beat makers. It's a pretty big, uh, I guess you could say beat battling competition in Toronto. Yeah. Um, I met, uh, so I knew Matt from, uh, so best point wonder. I knew Matt from the ICQ MSN era. So he's just like, yo, these beats are cool. Um, I'm in the battle of beatmakers tonight. Why don't you come through? Cool. Yeah. That's back in like, uh, 2009, October, oh, no, wait, 2006, 2006, uh, October. I come through the battle of beatmakers. I met him and then he's like, yo, you're honestly like a down to earth guy. Yo, why don't you, yeah. why don't you come to the studio one time? So that's obviously his house, uh, his mom's house. Shout out to his mom. Um, <laughs> And so when I, I pull up, he goes, yo, I got this other friend of mine, Tyler. I want you to meet him. Cool. Go okay. to his house. There's T-Minus, a young T-Minus. Back in the day, he went as uh, Brother Bags. It was the most ridiculous name, but I said, all right. Brother Bags. <laughs> that was his name? Brother, Brother Bags. Bags. Yeah. Wow. But that's who he was back in the day. And I, I just like his sound and everything was just his yeah. 808s were in tune and shit. And this guy actually knows what the hell he's doing. And I'm like, yo, yeah. to find someone like that back in that era, it's like, yo, it's it's insane it's insanity yeah. that's crazy and so you've just known him since then that's what like how many years ago now so oh six. Oh wow okay so like a good what 13 years 14 years almost nice. he's an accountant by, by the way guys professional <laughs> accountant uh, if you want to hit him up uh, feel free to yeah i will do your taxes state and federal <laughs> you just saw how quickly he did 2019 minus 2006 so <laughs> They're not ready, bro. They're not ready. You know what I mean? Use it your own discretion, really. <laughs> I'm here if anybody needs their cooks, their books cooked. Yeah. So that's really cool, right? So Battle of the Beatmakers is a really dope opportunity for producers, really, like, to be kind of showcased in this environment with other producers, with judges sitting there, like established producers, um, you know, and, and just being able to kind of showcase your talent, your, your production style and everything. And that's like that's a really cool platform, and I think um, you know you also are very tight with Boy Wonder, right? So you know, tell us about that. Like how, like what have have you guys worked together uh, previously? Like what have you guys worked on specifically? You know what has that relationship been like? So when it comes to like uh, getting VSTs or drums or just just keeping them in, like hey, like because while he's producing records, you really think this guy's gonna stop and be like, oh yeah, let me just. Uh, quickly find out what's the newest ARP that everyone's using. He ain't got time for that garbage. So <laughs> I would be like his ear to the street being like, hey, uh, new content came out. This library is really dope. A lot of guys are using it. Check it out. I'd always yeah. make sure that I would be the, the vetting person. 
then also with drums, like say it's BWB or whomever, we'd always uh, we'd always exchange sounds and and stuff amongst each other. But I'd be like the go-to person when it came to like, yo, get these drums. This is what everyone's using. Yo, check these out. This is what Max Martin just used and whatever whatever record. It's just being like the informative in man. Yeah. And then uh, you know, as our his career uh, went on, he signed me back in 2010 to 2012 to your contract. I got my first placement with him ever uh, with Machine Gun Kelly. And after I got to work with him and seeing how hard he works, I said, well, yo, now that this contract's done, I need to do what you're doing, but I need to follow my own path. So I'm not relying on you and whatever. And he was, he was happy to let me go and said, yo, dude, uh, follow your dreams. There's no issues, no bad blood. He's wished me. And then yeah. since then, the Splice Kit came out that just sold uh, a million copies on Splice, uh, the Boy Wonder Sound Kit Volume 1. And I literally sat down with him and me and him designed it together. And well, we still have a great relationship to the day. That's That's awesome, awesome. man. Congratulations to you guys for that, man. That's huge. People don't really realize that, you know, a million, uh, whatever copies sold on Splice is a huge issue or a huge deal rather, you know, and shout out to Splice really giving uh, up and coming producers and established producers like a platform to kind of be able to uh, curate a, a greater sound and, you know, provide all these samples and different beat packs and stuff. So, you know, shout out to Splice, but that's really great. I mean, I'm sure I know you've done, you've done a lot of work with Splice and you continue to. And, you know, that's a great platform for up and coming producers as well as established producers. So you've kind of been in the industry for quite a while now. You know, you've seen some things, you've, you know, you've experienced things. Um, and I'm sure you have like an opinion on certain aspects of the industry or, you know, the business in general. And, um, so give us a little take on what you see the industry, like where they, where it is now and what you want it to be in the future. Like how, wh- what kind of trends you see within the music industry at this time? Uh, without getting too much into the DJ Khaled drama, but it's kind of <laughs> like where the industry unfortunately is today. Um, there's a lot more packaging. Uh, obviously the, the old way of uh, buy a CD into a store that is almost non-existent unless you're like a top tier artist that you're touring. You're for sure going to get the labels are going to get their money back. Right. Uh, obviously now with iTunes being dissolved. So now instead of having singular songs, there's, you just get whatever song and you can stream it, but there's no physical copies. I think, uh, unfortunately with this model, that's pretty much where we're going to be going is that before when we had MP3 players and all this stuff, you can actually, not touch them, but you still have like a way to get these these records. Yeah. Now, if if you don't have internet or streaming, well, how else can you really get them and save them? Right. right, right. I think it's going to continue yeah. to that. I think uh, I think a lot more touring is going to take uh, maybe like the forefront for merch. I think merch and everything is going to be like honestly the the only and real path that's that's really left for these guys to to unfortunately make money because I mean if you're not if I think you guys know anyone that doesn't know if you yeah. check a stream. I think it takes like, is it a thousand people to stream to make up just like, God, what is the number? Like a thousand stream. Yeah. A thousand plays or something is equivalent to some number, like one CD sale or something like that. Yeah. That's that pretty, yeah. yeah. I remember yeah. like, didn't Diddy post that or something like a while ago on Instagram deal? Yeah. I mean, a lot of this information is actually pretty public now. Spotify is pretty open with it. Yeah. Um, you know, if you really want to look into how many seconds it takes for it to count as a play, I think Spotify is at like 20 seconds into a song and it counts as a full play, whereas yeah. Apple Music is like 30 seconds, something like that. And so yeah. obviously artists nowadays are getting paid per stream. And so in order for that artist to get paid, somebody needs to be listening to the record for a specific amount of time for that to kind of count towards their uh you know, royalties or whatever payment that they uh, system that they have set up. Um, so anyway, I wanted to kind of fast forward a little bit into, I think, a topic that is kind of interesting and relevant to what we're talking about now. And um, Jazz and I actually do a little bit of work together. I do A&R for him uh, in terms of, you know, finding new up-and-coming artists for his TV and film kind of deals that he does, the sync deals that he mentioned earlier on. Um, and so... We were having a conversation about what a week and a half ago on the phone and just kind of venting in terms of the things that we experience and kind of have to deal with when it comes to artists in general, right? Whether it be up and coming artists or established artists. Um, and so one of the things that we were talking about specifically was, you know, we see this whole trend of any and every artist, doesn't matter what level they're at, what caliber of artist they are, they all have a manager. 
Do you recall okay. this conversation, Jazz? Ah, yeah, we were getting heated. <laughs> Not at each other, but just <laughs> yeah, at yeah. certain situations. I'm like, come on, bro. Are you kidding me? You need yeah. a... Uh, but anyways, we'll, we'll get to that. Right. So I'll kind of give the listeners some background in terms of what we're talking about. If you're an artist or you know an artist or you follow an artist, whether they're signed, unsigned, whether they're kind of new in the music industry or they're, they've been well-established, yeah. on some level, every musician or artist nowadays is working with a manager. Now, yeah. I stay in touch with or I reach out to a lot of unsigned, up-and-coming artists that have kind of, they've been introduced to the music industry, but they haven't really kind of established themselves in the industry well enough yet, right? Right. And so when you're trying to work with people who have not really gotten any placement or any recognition or have, have made any type of kind of splash in the, in, in the industry or created a name for themselves, right? and you're reaching out to them, one of the things is they always tell you, oh, cool, talk to my manager. <laughs> It's, it's like, usually it's usually just them, but answering emails and a name. <laughs> yeah, like sometimes it is that person, and then they have this alter ego that pretends to be their manager. Yeah. And then the other side of it is, I would be that guy because because I'm so <laughs> passive. I'm so passive that I could never say no, and I could never talk about money. I would legit just be like, yeah, talk to my manager, email him here. His name is Dave. And then when you email, it would be like a complete different personality of mine. I'd be like, fuck this. This contract sucks. My artist is too good to deal with you. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm sure it happens all the time. Like, I, I feel like I'm that's sure. a very common scenario. Yeah, I, I, I feel like that would be. Because like, you're not paying these people, right? Are we talking about like usually friends and family, right? Well, see, that was what I was going to get to, right? Like, If you're not pretty much acting as your own manager with an alter ego, um, most of the time, these managers are friends, cousins, or close family members, yeah. or people that you know they don't really know that well, right? And yeah. you know, the thing is, the frustrating part of that is, let me back backtrack a little bit, actually. Okay. And give some advice from my end, and then Jazz <laughs> can do the same, and then we'll get into some more things. But my advice to artists, up and coming, especially, right? If you have not established yourself, you have not created a name for yourself, people don't really know who you are on a large scale yet, chances are you're not getting that many gigs or booking that many deals or whatever, right? Most times what's probably happening is you've hired a manager who you've promised to give a certain percentage of whatever you make off your, your music to, and that manager is basically just sitting there waiting for gigs to come in or waiting for an artist to right. put out music so that they get that recognition and then the manager can go to work, right? Right, right, right. So my advice to up-and-coming artists is learn and understand the business side of the music industry first before yeah. you decide to hire a manager because regardless of whether you hire a manager or not, it's just beneficial to have that knowledge and understand how the industry works so that not only can you handle things to a certain extent on your own, but you have a better understanding of how the industry works in general and how people are going to treat the managers themselves also, right? Because right. at the end of the day, a good manager is somebody who not only represents your best interest or represents you when you're, in a, when you're not in the room, that manager is supposed to utilize their network, utilize their connections or create a new network for create new connections, yeah. creating opportunities for the artists to grow and expand their career, looking for new artists or producers to work with, you know, trying to put, trying to elevate their entire existence really as an artist, right? Right. That's what a real manager is supposed to do. That's what a man, that's right. I think that's I, one I of those, don't think that's happening. And if, if the artist is doing all that themselves, then I think they're, why the hell do I have this manager if I'm the one that's, you know, going out and getting these gigs? I'm the one that's reaching out to people in my network and getting collabs. I'm the one that's, you know, getting beats and getting producers to come work with me. At right. that point, you as an artist have to be like, yo, fuck my cousin because this dude is not helping me at all. Exactly. All but then you're obligated because now you've promised your cousin that he's going to be your manager for life. <laughs> so that's the thing right it's unfortunate i feel like a lot of art kind of gets stuck in that situation when they're 
because when they're starting out early, you know, they want to be around people they can trust. So naturally they go with friends and family, but then, you know, it gets really hard to switch and get out of those situations. Right. Of course. Uh, at least it would be for me. Cause I'm, I'm just a passive guy. Like I, if, if my friend or my brother or somebody was my manager and I realized that they were a terrible manager, I would probably never have the guts to be like, you're fired. Like, right. See, <laughs> that would suck. The other side of that is, as an artist, if you learn to understand the business side of things, yeah. or rather if you don't choose to, to learn that side of things, you're doing, not only are you doing yourself a disservice, you're doing your manager a disservice too, because now your manager is not learning anything from that process either, right? right they think, right. okay, I got an email for a gig, I booked it, I took care of whatever travel or hotel stuff that needs to be taken care of, cool, yeah. done, right? That's the extent of my job. No, you're a glorified personal assistant if that's what you think <laughs> your job is, right? As a manager, look at, look at the well-established managers in the industry, right? Look yeah. at Scooter Braun, look at Matt Reynolds, look at... Um, Cash from OV, uh, from XO, right? Cash, yeah. And I'm I'm just naming a few off the top of my head, right? Yeah. These managers, what they're doing is they're literally going out and creating these new opportunities for the artists, so that the artists can continue just being an artist, and they don't need to worry about the business side of the industry as much, right? Right. Because obviously, when you get to a certain point in your career, that's not something that you really want to concern yourself with, right? You want the people around you that you trust to be able to handle those things so that you as an artist can maintain your creativity and maintain yeah. the artistry around everything you're doing, right? But up-and-coming artists, they need to learn this for this reason that you mentioned, right? Like when they hire their cousins and say, oh, you're going to be my manager for life or whatever, but then when they get to a certain point in their career where they're actually growing and creating a name for themselves and they need a legitimate manager... Yeah. Now, if they've done their research, they understand how the business side of that industry works, they are better equipped to understand that whatever manager I was using up until this point is probably not going to help propel me to the next level, right? right. And so I need to be in a, put myself in a situation and be with a manager who's going to get me to that next level, right? And I've seen that. I've seen, uh, I mean, I, I think we could start talking about like some of our personal experiences in terms of good managers and bad managers, uh, I've spent a lot of time, obviously, around a lot of artists as well, and I have seen some great managers, and I've seen a lot of terrible managers too. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, with Rootscare, for example, I have done deals. Most of the deals that I do with are almost always directly with the artists, meaning me and the artists have a close relationship. You know, we talk about the merch and we work on the designs together and we work on the concepts together and we work on the marketing, everything from start to finish together. And those relationships, for the most part, end up being really fruitful, really successful. There have been times where, uh, you know, I've gotten the opportunity to work with some artists and they've straight up, like, I've only been contacted through the manager and I've only dealt with exclusively the manager and those have been terrible uh like they've just i think it's also been because the manager doesn't have a cut in the merch right so they kind of don't have an incentive or you know uh, a real purpose in investing in in the merch they, they they don't really care to invest time and effort into it versus uh um like for example for hanji hello I work with Khalid, who's Rax's manager, and uh, because he has a cut in Hanji Hello, uh, he works tirelessly on the brand all the time. And that relationship's amazing because I, like, even though I never speak to Rax directly, Rax has his input into the brand, um, but through through Khalid, and it works out amazingly. So I've seen like good and bad managers, um, and I've seen you know. I feel like managers are best, uh, like they work the best when they have some sort of cut, when they have some sort of stake in the game. I feel like Jazz, right, have you exactly. have you had any like good or bad experiences with managers, or what kind of experiences have you had with bigger artists and their managers, or small artists and their managers? This is basically uh, part one of 74. Uh, guys, I'm just introducing <laughs> it right now. Um, 
<laughs> where we can go with oh man okay so look this is and, and to build on to uh what you were saying or both you guys were saying collectively um I'm, I, I don't know this i'm just giving you an example i could be completely off and if i am you know you don't have to say yeah or nay but uh look at uh what's the gentleman's name uh the, the punjabi rapper moose freak what's his name <laughs> there you go thank you see yeah. again uh born in barry white area this is what happens um <laughs> This gentleman, it was so amazingly popular in India. Yeah. Somehow, whether it's through bird or management or whatever, that's when you need a manager, when you're perceived as a global star. And for you to stop and to hit up someone in North America saying, hey, I want to open up in LA or hey, I want to do this or this. You're an artist. That's not your job. You need a manager to make sure right. all that facilitates. You yeah. still, like you said, you be the star and let someone else handle all the stuff to... I don't know who was, uh, I think uh, you were telling me about the New York show um, and you were saying like, yo, uh, Dave East or all these people are on the headlines. And I'm just like, yo, how did that happen? And then it made me think he must have a damn good manager because that's not going to happen on a joke. Dave East is not getting with anybody. Can you imagine right. when Punjab BMC was around and they had the, fuck, I hate the song, the Beware of the Dog goddamn record. <laughs> think of <laughs> Beware of the Boys. <laughs> Whatever, beware of dog boys. It's fucking beware of my nightmare. As soon as I heard that first thing, all the white guys like, "Oh yeah, it's your dance, man. Do this, do this." I'm like, "Oh god, like, bark now, please." But uh, that's a whole other scenario. But saying is real though. That that song like did so much for us. Like, just it was great. It was the most hated by us. Yes, but it did wonders. It it let white people be comfortable for a night. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> but uh, but what I was saying, that whole rant was basically more or less say, look, a guy like Moose, he's he's such a huge star. That's when you need management. Fast forward to my life today. Yeah. I have people coming on my Twitch. Uh, you see it sometimes. Maybe you don't. People are in there and they're and they're fairly talented, very talented. Uh, I don't think I've met. I mean, there's some people that are just they don't want criticism, but they're asking for feedback. That's a whole other scenario. But people are very talented, so I will hit them up or even tell them on screen while I'm on Twitch, hey, man, I'd love to work with you. There is a guy, I think his name is Naja or Nakama. I can point him out because he's been banned since, so it really doesn't matter. If you're hearing this, (laughs) congratulations. You played yourself. Um, But the dude straight up came to the stream four times in a row, feedbacking, and he had great songs. So I said, look, this is obviously an easy mechanic. Hey, dude, you write great songs. I need songs. Let's work together and get some stuff for whether it's Fast and Furious or insert the movie I'm working on at the time. Love yeah. to work with you. This man on four different times, yo, talk to Bobby, my manager. Okay, cool. I'm thinking manager. Perfect. Yo, you must be signed. So what's your deal? Oh, I'm Indy. Okay, you must be opening for someone. Yo, what artist do you work with? Nobody. And then I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute. So you want me to talk to your manager, aka your mom or your dad? dad. <laughs> literally, this man, literally, the way he spoke, he has a uh, a momager. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's and probably, I know she ain't he's... Chris Jenner, the greatest momager of all time. That's uh, <laughs> finessing her daughters and the Kardashians. So it's Is like he bro, 13 and has exactly. like his mom managing or dad managing him or something or what? Like, how old is this kid? Yeah, he's 16. He said he was 15, 16. No, I'm saying, do you know how old he is? Yeah, he said. He's, he even told me he's 15 or 16. Oh, so no wonder. That kind of makes sense. I mean, to a certain extent, like, if the kid's 16, I get it. Like, yeah, But I don't know what, it, like, is that just, like, an age to tell me to piss off politely? Or is that, like, his real age? <laughs> we never got far as talk to the manager. And, and as you guys mentioned, talk to the manager is a very polite way to tell someone, fuck off. I don't want to yeah. work with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's stupid. And that's just one iteration from Twitch. Even through my career, I'd be talking to artists like, let's say, when I wasn't as established, pre-Drake Cut, and I'm yeah. reaching out to, let's say, uh, I, I can't even remember, say Waka Flocka Flame, because now I talk to him, and I talk to him about the situation. Back yeah. then when he was, uh, I think, managed by Gucci Mans, I don't, what is it, on Debbie? Who was on Debbie? On Debbie, yeah, so it, it was on Debbie and then Coach K too, right? Right, right. So when it was back then and he was working with them officially at that time, you talk to the manager, but you're Waka Flocka Flame. This makes sense. Fine. But then the management was just like, well, yo, like, unless I get like 50% of the record, like, I'm not playing him the beat. And I'm thinking, what? what? Wow. So you His mean to tell manager me? manager wants a cut 
a cut of the beat production credits money publishing you name it across the board at the time now it wasn't coach k it wasn't on debbie it was one of their assistants saying that's how the company functions so they're saying indirectly hey this is how we get down and i'm sitting there just like for a walk a flock of flame cut in 2016 post like his whole success in 2012 i'm like what are you talking about yeah that's crazy that's so unprofessional but today, fast forward today, I talked to Waka and he's just like, bro, like send me beats. I'm like, I'm doing some stuff for festivals. I'm doing some shit over in Europe. When you actually talk to the artist themselves, he's a down to earth guy. And he wait, said, wait, Listen, wait. I didn't know they were acting that way. So in some situations, the yeah. management's acting so faulty and yeah. the artist has no idea that that's how they're handling people. And right. indirectly, you know how it is. If that's how they're yeah. handling them, well, yeah. then you're going to think the artist is an asshole too. That's how they're, that's how they're yeah. being represented. Yeah. I feel that. That's crazy. So two, two different variants. Uh, uh, a person that's not even established that claims he's underage and talked to his momager and someone that's absolutely established, but then their management's acting shady because, well, he doesn't know. He's getting beats. He doesn't know who they're yeah. coming from and what back deals are being cut. He's just, yo, here's a beat from, you know, Young Guapas from SoundCloud. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I like <laughs> it. Let me, let me use it on my mixtape. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah so like what advice do you have to like up-and-coming artists that are like trying to navigate through the industry and understand the business side of the industry like what advice do you have from you know having been involved in the industry for so long now i've only given two examples there's like a thousands and thousands and thousands of different variants and stupidity that i dealt with but here's the thing long story short if you're a creative what is the goal and what i mean by that is are you trying to be heard by the masses or are you trying to make money off tour and sailing? I guess once you establish what the overall goal is, you have to establish like, okay, if you're if you're looking for management right out the gate, no, just like anything, if you have no leverage, no clout, no credits, they're going to sign you forever or give you the shittiest deal. Or you start getting some songs written. You start getting some movies placed. You start getting a little bit popular and then look for management. You might not get a Scooter Braun, but you might get the next guy that in the next 20 years, he might blow up. And that's the guy you need to be working with is as his career and as opportunities progress, you're not established yourself. You need to work with someone on your radar. What What do you, again, same 16 year old. What is Nakama going to do signing under Scooter Braun? Yeah. You are like the 115th option because aside from owning a gaming industry and having the careers of Beaver, Ariana, and all the other attributes, you are the brand new star. You're going to get the least amount of shine because, again, you're lowest on the pecking order. So why not have someone that you grow with that, again, you have someone that is is out at the tour saying like, okay, well, yo, you know what? Uh, Britney Spears is coming in concert. You're a singer. You can open up for her at the six o'clock shot. She doesn't come on until nine. No one's really going to be there. It's soundtrack, but at least you got the opportunity. At least you're slowly growing and getting on, on stuff that you can, Hey, I was on a Britney Spears show. Now you can yeah. finesse it and get another thing. You, you right. got to start from somewhere. That's the thing. But you get a manager, you're getting ripped off right off the gate. Because again, until you're at a point where like, like you guys were mentioning, you understand the business, you understand what management does, what you have to give up and sacrifice, and what the relationship is back and forth. What are we managing? We're managing nothing until you write a song and it can actually do something physically with something that is recorded. Yeah. Right. Damn. See, part of that, part of what gets me kind of like amped up about this topic is that it's always independent artists that have managers. And it's like, you're independent. What are you using your management for, right? I can understand, you know, you're an up-and-coming artist. You, your goal one day, like you mentioned, is, you know, to have, let's say, get signed to a record label. When that day comes or when that time comes where you're getting close to that point of getting attention from record labels, fine. I can understand you may need a manager then, right? Because that manager has to understand the business side of it because that's what the record label is going to tell them, right? So if you're an independent artist, you really have no use for a manager whatsoever. It's literally pointless. You're yeah, until li- you, 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 know? you hit a point where you absolutely need one, I think it's better to just start, start learning the business yourself. That way, when you do get a manager, it's kind of like what we do with Rootscare, right? Like, I, I have worked every single job at this warehouse, everything from 
you know, checking in inventory to packaging orders, to shipping labels, to customer service, to social media marketing, because I have learned the ins and outs of everything and the business and the industry and all that stuff. Now I can pass on these jobs to other people and know whether or not they're doing a good job at them. Right. So I feel like for an artist, when they don't know, like, um, what, um, what is required of a manager and they just kind of get one. I feel like that's kind of creating a recipe for disaster where a manager is sort of being set up to fail because manager doesn't know what's expected of him. Manager has no idea what they're supposed to be doing. And the artist doesn't know either. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they think, well, I guess this is what a manager does. Sits around and orders me pizza at a studio session. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um but yeah it's crazy man it's a crazy world out there uh lots for people to learn we have so many artists coming out i feel like this information is really beneficial for up and coming artists too um yeah. because you know I mean, look we we've the three of us have been involved in music in some way or another i myself used to manage an artist right so i understand what it takes for you know, an artist to say, I trust a manager to do this for me or to expand my help expand my career, right? It's it's an onus that you have to take on. It's a responsibility. And if you're not putting yourself in a situation, see the thing is, managers fail to realize that it's not the artist's success carrying the manager's success. It's the manager's success carrying the artist's success, right? Yeah. Or it, it goes hand in hand. They, they have to help, help each other out in that, in that way. So right. the artist needs to be able to do what he does to help, you know, grow his listening his listener base and get more streams or more plays now and get that recognition that they need and then the manager at the same time needs to be able to help propel the business side of it on their end and manage that aspect of their career and you know help grow each other right a manager can only help boost an artist or sorry uh, a manager's success is directly tied to the artist's success right so when they realize that when you understand that as a manager it's a game changer, right? Because now you're yeah. not just waiting on an artist to be like, oh, cool, uh, I'm going to put out this album, let's see what happens, maybe we'll get bookings, maybe we won't, who knows, right? The manager needs to be able to put that artist in their in the best, pro best possible position to succeed. Right. At the end of the day, that's all they're really, like, that, that's their whole job, really. <laughs> yeah. You know what's crazy? I've also seen a lot of, or artists uh, also outgrow their managers. Like I remember when we used to work with Lily Singh back in uh, 2011, 2012, 2013, around that time, she had one manager and like literally she had started growing so rapidly. Like the next year we were dealing with somebody else. And then the, the year after that, we were dealing with somebody else until she just kept outgrowing these managers to the point of finally being signed to an agency uh, and having like a, you know, like a big agency manage her and stuff. Um, so that's also another like perfectly normal thing. Like if you find yourself stuck with, you know, your cousin or your friend or whatever that just didn't have the capacity to manage you beyond a certain point. Like it's perfectly normal to let them go and bring on somebody new that can handle that responsibility. Right. But you know, part of that comes from the understanding the business side of things and knowing when that that's appropriate. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. 100%. Without, uh, without getting too much into it, going into that, I mean, we, I don't want to take up too much of the time with it. Obviously it's a whole other story, but the whole Tifu situation and that whole scenario will definitely shape all management companies because the lawyer just came out a couple days ago and said, look, listen, we're going to expose the actual contract that we gave to these guys. And we've even offered many times to pay to leave. Bro, when this comes out, this is going to change all management for esports because the contracts that they've been doing, again, officially based on the California law and New York law and a lot of things, it's very shady, like, yo, this whole 2030 or 2080 thing that they've given out, it's very common in a lot of these guys' contract, but what? The org is getting you all the, the Grubhub and all the sponsorships, but in this one situation, he's getting everything, and they're using his name and likeness. They're only claiming 60, but cool. Tifu, if you look at all the phase vlogs, it's 
Flay's whatever, say YOLO with Tifu, whatever, whatever. They're using his likeness to get all like $10, $15 million worth of deals for the rest of the phase based on Tifu's name. So yes, they only took 60 from him, but by using his name, look at how much they extorted him for. And with that being said, you know, management companies with esports gamers, those entities and the orgs themselves, just watch. It's what we're talking about is one thing, but that's going to completely like disrupt the whole industry. Right. A hundred percent. I agree with that. And, you know, for those who are listening and unaware of what was Jazz was just mentioning, it's this whole situation in, in an esports team or organization that was essentially exploiting uh, the contracts of uh, one specific, I guess, gamer talent that they manage. Um, but, you know, I'll let the listeners kind of do their own research on that. But I think right, right, the, right. Po- the good point there is that this isn't just uh, strictly tied to the music industry. Right, this whole idea of management and stuff, and it's not strictly just tied to the fashion industry, like Dunmit was mentioning in his experience. Management in general, it's just how it works, right? You will work at a corporate job, and if your manager doesn't have your best interest at heart and isn't allowing you or helping you grow in your career, that's not a good manager. It's just you know, strictly strictly put, right. Right, so it's not it's not just about management of talent in general, right? It's you're you're managing. There's all different types of management, but it, it applies to all different industries as well, right? Across the board kind of thing. So it's just like this this thing within management, but I feel like in the music industry, people kind of get taken advantage of because it's like, yo, I'm a manager. I can help you out. I can help you grow your career. It's like, okay, cool. That's what I need without like checking credentials or really understanding, you know, who that person is that they're signing them, uh, themselves to or what ma- management agency they're signing themselves up to they're just putting themselves in a position to fail or to rather be exploited or taken advantage of like, you know, as jazz mentioned with that reference to the esports organization and Tifu, Right. So these are those things that, you know, we can honestly talk about for days and days and days, because I feel like once we get into the nitty gritty stories and details of every different experience that, you know, the three of us have collectively have had, you know, we could go on and on about this. Right. Um, yeah. And so, but you know, at some point either, you know, in the future, maybe next episode or something, I do want to at some point talk about just kind of the the music industry and record label industry and how that has changed over the years and kind of what the trend has been, right? And kind of to preface that, it's kind of like this trend of all, a lot of artists are, they prefer to stay independent for certain reasons, right? Even yeah. well-established artists choose yeah, to stay independent. Yeah, we need to talk about that. We need to definitely talk about that because... I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I was like, man, I wish uh, I, I kind of miss like the golden era because I'm the kind of guy that's sitting around them like, yo, can somebody just come discover me and just like invest all their money into me? I'm super talented. I'll make music. I'll act. I'll do stand up comedy. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just come discover me and put all your money into me versus you know that that used to be the way like people would just get discovered off of demo tapes or off of audition tapes or whatever the hell it was now it's like the complete opposite now it's kind of like you have to build up your own audience you have to build up your own following and you kind of have to have your you kind of have to basically build up your own career and there isn't really much room for discovery and investment from like big labels and stuff like that right like even i feel like even like you know uh big record labels will only sign you if you are only if you already have like a big following if you already have a lot of streams if you already have started touring on your own independently then they're like oh maybe it's worth signing this guy you know so yeah we definitely got to talk about how that shit changed and when and how it affected everything why do I feel like you were just pitching yourself to management companies? <laughs> I definitely, I definitely am. So if anybody out there is, find me, I do this, I do that, I'll do anything. You want. Please find me. <laughs> Tan man eats. Tan man sleeps. Tan man speaks. I have a whole series. We could do. All- <laughs> <laughs> Count fashion, um, fashion person. Oh my gosh, this man's laundry list of credits over here. Yeah. When uh, uh, I mean, he, you know, he does his own laundry. He'll add that to too actually um, <laughs> so look i mean like i said we can talk about these topics all day all night 
Um, but, you know, these other topics that have come up that we mentioned, you know, specifically the music industry, the fashion industry, uh, Jazz, we'll, we'll definitely want to have you back on to talk about those things as well. Yeah, um, we might as well just make you like our third host, if anything, right? Like, we'll get to that <laughs> point at some point. <laughs> I'm working there. Eventually, we'll take his job. But listen, let him have the yeah. host for now. <laughs> just wait till I get signed. First time on. Wait till I get signed. so competitive. <laughs> Just get the Yara management deal and we'll be all right. Don't worry yeah. about it. I just want a manager. Submit, will you be my manager? Oh, fine. You don't recall that I used to be your manager? I know, I know. I retired. I know. Yeah. All right. I think we're going to call this episode uh, a done deal. Unless yeah. he has any last thoughts. Yeah, Jazz, anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Say something to the kids, Jazz. Uh, just be smart. Again, if you have momagers, dadagers, they're all great. They're family. But look, when the money comes in, whether it's $100 or $200, don't you want to know how it's supposed to be spent? Or do you want your parents to hold all of your money and say, yeah, don't worry about it, son. Come back or daughter. Come back to us on 21. You'll get it. 21 comes, oh, you know, this crazy thing called I feed you every day doesn't exist. And while that's what is more or less is going to happen to you, <laughs> if you let that happen, not saying all parents are this way, but I mean, come on, if money's coming in, it's rolling in, it's doing really well. How do you evenly tell your parents who've been there for you, which is an emotional connection? Hey, mom, you're only entitled to insert 10 to 30 when they're like, what you mean? I raised you. I need 50. Right. That's, a, that's a headache. You don't want to enter, please, please. Yeah. And same with family cousins whatever sometimes it's best to work outside but again like both of you guys gentlemen as as I mentioned if you're outgrowing the people that you're with you have to let them go but yeah. in the beginning if that's what it is as long as there's a clear kind of understanding hey i agree to 10 or 20 or 30 or whatever the percentage is as long as you agree and you know what's going on in every situation that's what it is but do not forcibly insert your family there you will regret it and friends same thing you know, friends start uh, disappearing all of a sudden when money, big money orders come in. Let's say, you know, you're, you're selling your t-shirt. You got to order for 500 bucks, $500 is there. X amount has to go to actually making it. And then, you know, the rest you get to keep $500 gone and you lost the best friend because, well, he pocketed it. Explain me that one. <laughs> Man, I hope all the listeners take all of what you just said in and internalize it because it's so key, right? Like, I feel like I need to just cut that snippet of what you just said and just publicize that, right? Like, put that everywhere. <laughs> That's our soundbite. Yeah. Sound Dude, use it for the episode. Find a very fantastic picture with me with hair that doesn't exist and uh, <laughs> put the audio for about a minute and there you go. I'm amazing at Photoshop, so just wait till to wait till I'm done with your photo. Oh my oh god. god. Another one. Hair, <laughs> yikes. When I posted yesterday for Father's Day, it was my master didn't have a pug on when we took the pictures. So I like photoshopped this <laughs> the Indian Bharat pug on it and I posted it up and it was amazing. Perfect. Listen, I'll take one of those and uh, we'll call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a nice well. Look, Jazz, we appreciate you joining us today um, yep. you know, for this lively discussion and you know providing us with your input and kind of giving us your background and um, you know you and I like you know we've mentioned before you and I stay in touch you and Thunbit stay in touch Jazz is just a great person um, so we'll definitely have him on again in the future um, yep. so you know look out for future episodes featuring Jazz Feezy look I got you a feature. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. All right, guys. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Yet Another Podcast. We are the Yap Boys, this time featuring Jazz Feezy. Stay tuned till next Wednesday when we drop another episode. Peace out, guys.